Do you agree with the statement or the saying, power corrupts? I like this if you do. It's, you, can, you can respond. Do you, really, do you agree with that, that statement? I had a good friend uh, in Meridian that was a, a former pastor. He had, uh, before pastoring, was a representative in the state uh, house, in the Mississippi State House. His name was Roy Dabbs. He passed away just a couple of years ago. Um, lived a good life. Had some heart problems, and that's, that's where the Lord took him home. But he was in politics for years. And the closer he grew to the Lord, he just came to a point where he realized, I cannot do this and be who God wants me to be because of all the power issues. And I'm not saying a politician can't find a way to to live for the Lord and be a politician. I think that's possible. But for him, he had gotten to the point where there was just so many people coming after him because of power that he could no longer be the Christian he knew he needed to be. Does that make sense? And he would say that statement all the time, power corrupts. Power corrupts. Today we see the same thing in the life of David, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we have this story about King David. It's one that's probably the second most familiar story about David after the David and Goliath story. So the Bible begins this story by saying, when it was spring, was a time again they would attack the, Am the Ammonites. And normally David would get with his men, but this time he decided to stay home. After taking a nap one afternoon, he walked along the sun deck of his palace and on the roof of another building from there, he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> he sent for a servant and said, who is that woman? Oh, her name is Bathsheba. She is the wife of Uriah, one of your 30 mighty men. Y'all remember our story about David and his mighty men? He had three main ones. He had 30 others. Uriah was one of his tightest, closest buddies. And he has spotted his wife taking a bath naked, on top of a building and lust has taken over David's heart at this point David sent for her so she came to the palace and he slept with her that night in time she realized that she was expecting a baby and she knew it was from the night that she had spent with the king so she sent word to David that she was pregnant and he decided to hide what he had done so he immediately sent a message to Joab. Remember, Joab is the commander of his army. He's still there in Jerusalem in his palace. He normally would be out fighting the war, but he's not doing that. He's gotten comfortable with being king and no longer doing the normal duties he would be doing. And he sends this message to his commander, Joab. Send Uriah to me from the battlefield. So Uriah leaves the battlefield. Joab does as David commands. And he comes to King David and he asks David, Uriah asks, 
how is, or David asked Uriah, how's the battle going? Is Joab well? And after Uriah gives a report about the battle, the king told him, I would love for you to go home and spend some time with your wife before going back to the battle. He even sent a gift to the couple. And Uriah left the king, but he didn't go home. He slept that night at the door of the palace with all of the king's servants to keep guard over the king. In the morning, the king called him in and said, why, did, why didn't you go home like I asked you to do? I wouldn't do that, king. The ark of God is on the field of battle, and the army of Israel sleeps in tents. Joab and his officers are on the field. There's no way I could go to my house and live in ease. I can't eat or drink with my wife while they are sacrificing for our nation. David sat, he began to get frustrated, and David says, Stay here one more day, and I'll send you back to the battle. The king then asked Uriah to eat and drink with him, and during the course of the evening, David made it to where Uriah would, would get drunk. David got Uriah drunk, but he still couldn't get him to go home. He slept on a cot at the palace doors to guard the king's palace. And the next morning, David put a letter to his commander, uh, to Joab, wrote a letter. And this letter, he said, put Uriah in the front of the battle where the fighting is the most fierce. And at an assigned moment, have your men fall back, leaving Uriah to die. The king gave the sealed letter to Uriah and told him to take it to Joab, gave Uriah his own death sentence to deliver. He went back to the battle, Uriah did, and gave the letter to Joab, the commander. Joab obeyed the order that David had given and put Uriah at the exact place where the fighting was the most dangerous. And at the assigned moment, everyone else fell back and Uriah was killed in battle. Bathsheba heard that her husband had died in the battle and she mourned his death. And the Bible says once Bathsheba's time of mourning was over, David then made her his wife. Soon afterwards, she gave birth to their son. Only God knew about their sin, and he was not pleased. God sent the prophet Nathan then, who stood before King David and told David this story. There were two men who lived in the same city. One was a rich man. He had a large herd of cattle and a large flock of sheep. The other was poor. He only had one small lamb. But that lamb was like a daughter to this poor man. The lamb grew up with his children as a pet. The lamb ate from their bowls and drank from their cups and even slept with them at night. The rich man had a friend come visit him from far off, a far off city. And when it came time for a meal, the rich man did not want to use one of his own sheep to feed these people. Instead, he took that poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. The man with the wealth had plenty 
But instead of using what he had, he took from the poor man that precious lamb and used it to feed others. When David heard this story that the prophet Nathan told, he became furious. He stood up and he shouted, That's disgusting! How could he be so heartless, the rich man? This man deserves to die. He'll give the poor man four lambs for what he's done. Nathan took his finger and he pointed at David. And he said, you are the man. The Lord says, I made you king over Israel and gave you all that you have. I would have given you even more if you had asked for it, David. So why, why, David, have you despised me and done this evil? You killed Uriah with an Ammonite sword and took his wife. Because of this, the sword will never leave your house. You did all of this in secret, but I'll judge you openly. David broke down at that moment before Nathan, and he began to plead with God, I have sinned before the Lord. Nathan said, the Lord has heard your prayer and has taken away your sin. You'll not die, but the child will die because how, of how you've treated the Lord. And suddenly, that newborn baby that came out of David and Bathsheba's sin became sick. David begged God to spare him. The king wouldn't eat. He spent day and night on the ground pleading with God. His servants tried to get him to eat, but he refused to eat. After seven days, the child died. The servants were afraid to tell David. They had watched him agonize with the child while the child was alive. They thought he would do something desperate when he found out that the child was dead. He saw them whispering to one another, and he said, is the child dead? And they answered, yes, he is dead. So David got up off the ground. He took a bath. He put on clean clothes. And he began to worship in the house of the Lord. And then he sent for something to eat. And the servants were amazed. And then he began to explain to his servants, while the child was alive, I pleaded with the Lord in case he would be gracious and let the child live. But now that he's dead, there's nothing I can do. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. Later, Bathsheba gave birth to another son. David named this son Solomon. And the Lord loved Solomon. And he said... He would be the next great king of Israel. That's the story of David and Bathsheba as it's told in God's word. There's some lessons that we can learn, some life lessons. If you have a handout, three life lessons that we're going to talk about quickly today. The first life lesson we can learn from this story of David and Bathsheba, just a quick overview 
David's gotten too comfortable as king. So comfortable he's no longer doing what he'd normally do. He didn't go to battle in the spring to fight the Ammonites like he normally would. He's sitting at home twiddling his thumbs. What's that old saying we have? An idle mind is the devil's workshop, right? <laughs> That's kind of what's happened with David here, isn't it? You know, being busy is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean we need to get burnt out. We need to take sabbaticals and some times of leave. But David was taking a little bit too much leave, I believe, and let himself be tempted and gave in to that temptation. When he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, he began to act on his temptation. And they sinned. He tries to cover it up a lot of different ways. Tries to get Uriah to sleep with her so it'll look like it's his baby. Tries to get him drunk to do it. And then ends up murdering him by putting him, on the, putting him on the front lines of the battle in the most dangerous place. And it takes the prophet Nathan coming to David for David to really realize what's happened to him. And thank goodness David does. Thank goodness that story he told about that poor man's lamb broke David's heart. And then when Nathan said, you're the rich man, you're the one, David realized what he'd done and asked for God's forgiveness. And then because of what had happened, the sin that had happened, there were consequences, right? That baby ended up dying as a result of that. And further down the road, Nathan also tells David, the sword will never leave your house. And that one might be the scariest of all the consequences, right? And we'll see that next time we talk about David and some of the things that's happened. Life lesson number one, God sees and knows all. Man, if that doesn't scare you to live right, I don't know what will. God sees and knows all. All We all do things we think we're getting by doing without anybody catching us. Guess what? You're caught before you ever do it. God knows what's going on, y'all. He sees and he knows everything that you're doing. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says this. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. Another passage is Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says this. No creature is hidden from him, from God, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every single thing we do, we'll have to give an account of before God one day. So, just like today in our Lord's Supper, as we examine ourselves and think about the things that we've done that have offended God and sinned against God, it's a time to evaluate and reevaluate. But also we think ahead, God, help me to protect myself, guard my heart from doing things that are evil, doing things that are wrong, thinking things. David's thing started with seeing something and him not going the other way. Let me give you all a warning especially young people, because I think there's something new you have to deal with that maybe even my generation and older has not had to deal with. And it involves social media. It involves these devices that we have. 
you can bring a brothel right into your house with that thing. You hear me? You can bring pornography. You can bring things that cause you to sin. And you, I don't know about, I think it happens more with us guys than it does the ladies because these algorithms are built in. How many of you get an advertisement on Facebook or something and it throws a woman up at you? It's happened to me. Listen, it's just like a mentor of mine told me. When you go down the wrong aisle, you realize where you're at and turn around and go the other way. Right? He was talking about if you, if you deal with alcohol being an issue in your life, when you're in the grocery store, you need to avoid that aisle, right? It's the same way with this device. Something like that pops up, delete it. Get rid of it. Run from it. Do like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife exposed herself to him and invited him. He went the other way. He still got in trouble because she lied and said he tried to rape her. But he did the right thing and ran. Run from it. Look at what one little lustful look by David turned into. It, it broke his house forever. So guys, I think our guys, we, we, we struggle with this thing a little bit more than the ladies. Ladies, you have your issues too now. We all got problems and sins we have to deal with, right? But whenever there's something... Paul talks about these besetting sins that we have in our life. When there's something you know you struggle with, if it comes up to you, you need to run the other way and avoid it. Avoid it like the devil. The second life lesson that we can learn, number two, bad things happen to good people. Uriah, my goodness, what a good, a good friend and a good soldier. I mean, think about what he did. He, was, he did everything he was told to do by Joab. He did everything he was told to do by David. If David had said, you need to go sleep with your wife, he probably would have done that. He did everything but that, right? The best thing you could do for Israel, sleep with your wife. David didn't do that because then he would know he's up to something, right? That's why David didn't do it. He's still trying to hide his sin. But Uriah was that faithful to the king and to the Lord's army that he would do anything. He was such a good man. He proved himself. His fate was not of his own doing. Wasn't Uriah's fault that he was murdered, was it? He was a good guy. And you know what? There's going to be things that happen in all of our lives where we think, God, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? You may not have done anything wrong. My mama always says this. She said it to me growing up. She still says it today. When something bad happens on the news or happens with a family member or somebody, we live in this world and there's people in it. Right? There's evil in this world and because of it, people get influenced by it and do bad things. Good people have bad fates many times. And the last life lesson today, number three, there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our actions. David's repentance did not prevent the consequences. That's a scary thing to think too, isn't it? There's consequences to the bad decisions that we make, the bad things we say, the bad things that we do, and you know, most of us probably have told some little white lie. 
that can turn into a mess, can it? Trying to hide something you've done. David's was a, not a white lie. That was a big lie, right? And it has consequences. Even if the consequence is somebody doesn't trust you as much as they used to. That's hurtful, isn't it? To realize that the trust I once had in a person they no longer have in me. Or vice versa. This person did something, I can't trust them anymore. Because of something real small. Three things, these lessons. Take them with you. God sees everything you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows everything. He's everywhere. Bad things do happen to good people. And there are consequences to our actions each and every day. Let's pray as we have our hymn of commitment. Father, as we reflect on this story about David and Bathsheba, we just ask that you would help us all to evaluate our hearts, to do preventative maintenance in our lives that helps us avoid situations like David was, was in himself, to keep ourselves busy doing your work, to do the things that we should do, not to have idle minds so that we end up with time to get in trouble, but to be doing your work. To be the dads, the moms, the sons and daughters that we all should be. Help us to be loving. Help us to be faithful. To, to keep our minds, as Paul said, to be fixed on things that are lovely, of good report, of beauty. The good things of this world. There's so many good things that we should have our minds occupied on that can keep us out of trouble. And Lord, help us also to realize sometimes things happen that aren't of our doing. We live in a fallen world and there's going to be evil and bad things that happen. And also, Lord, help us to, to keep away from doing evil because there are consequences to the things that we do. Lord, uh, help us to examine our hearts constantly and to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.